Amen. Well, it's good to see you. I was supposed to preach last week, but due to the circumstances, we just pushed everything to this week. So, happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) When things go haywire, we go back to the basics. Uh, I think we could describe the last several days as haywire, whatever that word means. And many of you lost power, many of you lost water, some of you lost both. I heard some people that lost cell service, Uh, some people lost internet. At the very least, most of us were trapped in our homes. If your power or water or whatever didn't go out, you're kind of waiting on your turn, because surely you wouldn't go unscathed. Um... And then there were some of us who never lost anything, and then you just kind of feel guilty the whole time. Uh, you, uh, you're out there getting cold on purpose in the snow playing and have a good time. My kids, Charlie and Emma and Clara, liked sledding. Um, but what did we do when everything went haywire? We, when, when things broke down and everything went crazy, what did we do? We, we went back to the essentials. We cut other things. We knew we needed water, so we filled a, a bathtub. Some of you still have a bathtub full of water because you don't trust anybody now. <laughs> uh, we knew we needed warmth, so we uh, we collected blankets. We made sure we had all of our blankets. We we knew we needed food. We we went grocery shopping two Fridays ago and had food through like Wednesday because we, we thought we were doing good. Turns out we needed a few more days. Ate a lot of mac and cheese. Um, but you go back to the basics. Now, I, I really like soda. I like to drink soda. My go-to is Dr. Pepper, but it makes me fat. So uh, I uh, begrudgingly drink Coke Zero. I could do the commercial for them. I, that's probably not the best way to go about it. But uh, we ran out this week. And I, I could have got in my car and driven up the mile-long hill in our neighborhood to get to the gas station at the top of the hill to get some more. I could have bundled up and hiked up that mile-long hill to get some more. But I didn't. I thought about it, but I didn't do it. Uh, Because it's not essential, it doesn't doesn't matter. Um, We just needed the basics. You know, that's true in a lot of areas. Uh, I coached my son's basketball team. We had a conversation at practice with the team a couple of weeks ago that we can draw up the best offense and we can create the, the most creative inbounds plays and we can have these exotic defenses and get these wide open shots. But at the end of the day, what is basketball? Whoever makes the most baskets wins. If we can't shoot, we're not going to win any games. We got to get back to the basics. Apple computers was a mess. I think it was the 90s. Apple computers was a mess. And they rehired Steve Jobs and he came in. And what was Steve Jobs' main message? We got to get back to the basics. We got to simplify what we're doing. And now, everybody in the room's got an iPhone. And an Apple Watch and maybe a MacBook or something. And I made some of you Android people so mad at me right now. And you're going to fight me in the parking lot. Most people. But we get back to the basics when things go haywire, right? 
And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to get back to the basics. And what can be more basic than John 3.16? I'd like you to turn there in your Bible. Some of you have it memorized and you don't want to turn there. Just do it. Turn in your Bibles. Uh, I'd like you to consider this truth. The love of God fuels the mission of the Son to save the world. The Son of God had a mission And that mission was to save the world. There are two questions I'd like you to consider before we really dive in. The first question is this. What did the Son come to save us from? Why did we need saving? You know, the human life is filled with problems. We face difficulty every day. This last week, many of you faced maybe more difficulty than others and you had problems, and some of you knew, you knew how to fix, and, and some of them you, you had to wait to fix, and some of them maybe you're still not sure what you're going to do. But what is humanity's biggest problem? What is the biggest danger that we face? That's the first question. The second question that I want you to consider is this. So, so why did the Son come, or, or what made Him come? What fueled His Coming. Let's look together. John 3.16. I'm going to read it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now the first question we asked was, What did the Son come to save us from? Or asked another way, What is the biggest danger that humanity faces. Well, John 3.16 tells us. The danger is perishing. Jesus says, if you don't believe, you're going to perish. Well, what does perishing mean? Uh, we, we don't really have to look very far. We can look in John chapter 3 and figure out what he's talking about. In, in verse 16, those who believe will not perish. But look in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So, so perishing is like being condemned. To be condemned means that you're judged. You've received a, like a guilty sentence by a judge. And then a little bit further down, John 3 verse 36 explains even further. Whoever believes in the Son, did you notice we keep running into this word believe, believe, believe. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so we can put it all together and perishing is being condemned. Being condemned means the wrath of God remains on you. The wrath of God is His fierce, infinite hatred and anger towards sin. God justly judges sinners with His furious wrath. All of humanity is in danger. We face many problems in our lives, but there's one problem that outshines them all. We are in danger... Of perishing. We are in danger of condemnation. We are in danger of the wrath of God. We are in danger of God. 
Our second question, what made the Son come? What? Why did He come? We, we knew we needed saving. Our greatest danger is God. But why did He come? What fueled His coming? Our greatest danger is God. And yet our glorious rescue is fueled by His love. That's what we see in John 3.16. The love of God fuels the mission of the Son to save the world. As we continue through John chapter 3, verse 16, I'd like you to consider three important truths chiseled from there. First, God's love is unmerited. God's love is unmerited. I want to show you where I see this in John 3, 16. But the way I want to show you is I want to introduce you to two of the characters in this verse. There are at least two characters, maybe three in this verse that I want to show you. The first character is God. Who is God? A.W. Tozer famously wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Well, what comes into your mind when you think about God? And as uh, John wrote this down, he wrote John 3.16, when he wrote those words, when he wrote God, what, what did he mean when he wrote that? Well, if, if we look back at the beginning of his gospel in John chapter 1, he, John 1.1 has the word God in it. As a matter of fact, John 1.1 begins with the exact same words of the beginning of the whole Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. John's concept of God goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who is God? God is the creator of all things. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's, that's a way of saying everything. He created everything. God said, let there be light. And the Bible says, it was so. There was no procrastination. There was no debate. God spoke it into being. I, I asked my kids, I tell my kids to clean their room one time and they don't do it. God speaks light into existence. He is the creator. He is also the sustainer. It's not as if God created and then just kind of left it alone and he went and did his own thing. But rather, the Bible says that he upholds the world by the, by the word of his power. By the words of his mouth, your heart is still beating. Your lungs are still breathing. Gravity still works because of the words of his mouth. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is omnipotent. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He is called the Lord God, the Almighty. There is nothing he cannot do. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. That means he knows everything. Everything that can be known, whether possible, actual, past, present, future, what's in secret, what's in the light, he knows everything. He is omniscient. He's also sovereign. The Bible says that God kills, God makes alive. God wounds and God heals. There is none who can deliver out of his hand. There is none who can look at God and say, what are you doing? There is nothing outside of his control. 
He holds all things together. He rules and he reigns over everything. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is sovereign. There's one word that kind of summarizes all of those things. It's the word holy. Our God is holy. When we use the word holy, sometimes we think like uh, that means moral perfection or moral uprightness. And it does mean that. But it actually means more than that. When we say that God is holy, what, what holy means is you stand alone in your own category. So it's not as if like there's, there's a category of things and God is at the top of that category of things. It's not like that at all. Actually, it's more like there's a category of things and God's over here in his own category. There's no one like him. He is holy and he has the moral and just right to demand obedience from his creation. And when creation fails to obey, he has the moral and just right to punish them. This is God, the first character. But you know, there's a second character in John 3.16. It's the world. What did John mean when he wrote the words, the world? What, what did he mean The New Testament uses the word world in a lot of different ways. Like sometimes the word world can mean everything that's been created. God created the world, everything that exists. It also could mean like um, possessions and treasure and values of the world. Like when Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, but then forfeit his soul, treasure and, and possessions and values. But I don't think John means either of those things when he says that God loved the world. I think he means this other one. It, it, it can also mean humanity, the people of the earth, the people that, that God made, his image bearers. This is what John means. God loved the world. Now, when John uses this word world, he actually means it in a couple of different senses. There's kind of two parts to it. Uh, first, it, it can mean, uh, it does mean uh, the bigness of the world. The bigness of the world. People of every race and nation. People of every social class. People of every generation. There is no one left out when John uses the word world. But not only is the world big, the world is bad. And that's how John really uses this word throughout all of his writings. John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Revelation, and everything that he wrote, the word world means bad. The world is the mass of humanity who rejects God and his son. They fail to keep and obey God's command. The world walks in darkness. You and I would agree. We don't have to have a debate about it. You would agree the world is broken, isn't it? And we, we look at what happened this last week and we see these flashes of the goodness of people. Many of you are, are the kind of the source of some of the, some of that light. You were light to your neighbors and your friends and other church members and you went out of your way to take people into your home and that, that's the goodness of the world that we see. That's who we were made to be, but that's not how the world is all the time, is it? Evil seems to win the day a lot of the time, doesn't it? Our world is broken, and we would agree there. But have you ever stopped to consider that when we say the world is broken, the world is made up of individuals? You and me, 
we make up the world. So when we say the world is broken, we, we understand that means that individuals are broken. The world is broken because individuals are broken. We are wicked. We are selfish. We are arrogant. And even, even often the good things that we do are because we get some benefit out of it. It's actually selfishness that we sometimes do good. We are commanded to love God with all of our being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we often do neither and simply love ourselves. So when John refers to this second character, the world, he's of course referring to its bigness. But he's also referring to its badness. The big, bad world. So you have these two opposing characters, holy God and big bad world. And what does the Bible say in John 3.16? God so loved the world. Does that shock you at all? It would have shocked the original hearer of this statement. Jesus is speaking to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a teacher in Israel. Uh, he likely had the first five books of the Bible memorized. And as he heard Jesus speak, he would not have been shocked if Jesus had said, For God so loved Israel. Nicodemus would have already known that God loved Israel. It's all over the Old Testament. Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. In the book of Deuteronomy, Uh, God tells the people uh, of Israel, he says, I love you, but it's not because you're so impressive. The reason why I love you is because I love you. That's what he tells them. And Nicodemus knew that. As a matter of fact, Nicodemus probably had that part memorized. But what's shocking is that Jesus tells Nicodemus, God loved the world. Holy God loved the big bad world. Those two characters are enemies. The world rejects God and His Son. The world is broken. The world who refuses to love God, refuses to love neighbor, but only loves itself. God loved that world. Not just certain people, not certain races, not just, not just males, not just females. Not the, just the religious, not just the rich, not just those who have it put all together, not just the lovely, but also the broken. And even, even wicked rebels who continually turn their back on God. God loves them too across races, across economic statuses, you and me. Listen, God loves you. God loves you. And you hear that statement all the time, and it probably goes in one ear and out the other. It's trite. But we're getting back to the basics. There's no trite statement. God loves you, and we see that God's love is unmerited. It is undeserved. We have done nothing that can deserve God's love for us, and We can do nothing that will earn more love for us, and we can do nothing that causes God to revoke His love for us. It's unmerited. It's not that God loves us because we are lovely. 
And God doesn't love us because we have it all put together. God doesn't love us because we go to church enough times. God doesn't love us because we haven't committed those sins. Those aren't the reasons why God loves us. Do you remember, uh, this was years ago, do you remember Stuart Smalley's daily affirmations? Daily affirmations with Stuart Smalley, Saturday Night Live? It's not, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. It's not that. We are a part of the big bad world. We are broken, you and me. There is nothing about us that impresses God. We are loved by God simply because he chooses to. God so loved the world, God's love is unmerited. Second, God's love is willing. If the fact that that holy God loved the big bad world doesn't shock you, this second statement should. Holy God loved the big, bad world, and what did that cause him to do? It says he gave. Now, most translations of the Bible, and you probably memorized it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave. That's a perfect translation. Nothing wrong with it. The only thing wrong is I think we misunderstand what that word so means. It can kind of have a couple of different meanings to it. Like It could mean like an amount, like God, I I love you so much, right? It means a, a lot. But but that's not really what this word means. So can also mean thusly, or um, in this way, or in this manner. So you could understand this verse like this. This is how God loved the world. He gave. The love of God fuels his giving. God loved the world, and because he loved the world, he saw that we were in danger, and so because of love, God gave. If you're, if you're listening to me, that, that, that should shock you into worship and devotion. God owes no one. He, he doesn't owe anything to anyone. He is the creator. There is no one who can call in a favor from God, you don't get to twist God's arm and get him to do things for you. He stands alone. No one can require anything of God. We're the ones who should give all of ourselves and all of our possessions and everything to him. And yet John 3.16 says that God gave. God gave. But we haven't even hit the magnitude of this verse, have we? It's shocking enough that God gave. What's even more shocking is what he gave. What what did God give? God gave his only son. Now you may have memorized his only begotten son. The point of that word begotten, the, the point of that word is more like his unique son. His only. And not just that God only has one son, and if he gives that one up, then he doesn't have any more. That's, that's not really what that means. His unique son, his holy son, his son that stands alone, the son of God is God himself. He is creator. He is sustainer. 
The Son of God is omnipotent. The Son of God is omniscient. The Son of God is sovereign and rules and reigns over everything. He is holy. God gave that unique Son. But what did He give His Son to do? What was His mission? You know, Jesus came to do a lot of things. He healed people. He taught us about love. He taught us about the kingdom of God. He taught us what God is like. He told us the truth. What was his main mission? Jesus himself tells us what his main mission was. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Why did Jesus come? Why did the Father send the Son? To die. To die. The Father sent the Son on a mission. That mission was to lay down His life. The Father willingly gave the Son, who willingly laid down His life. No one forced God. No one made him do this. He chose. He chose to give his son. Holy God loved the big bad world and gave his son to die for them. God's love is willing. And third, God's love is to be received. The text says that God loved the world in this way. He gave his son. And it finishes like this. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever, anybody in the big bad world, anybody, whoever believes, what does it mean to believe? I think we've got this word all screwed up in our vocabulary. The word believe can be kind of gray. We are tricked into believing a lot of things, aren't we? Like fake news. Right? You're tricked into fake news. My brother, when, when I was a kid, my brother used to tell me that I was adopted. He tried to make me believe something that wasn't true. And it wasn't, I think. <laughs> but whether I believe it or not doesn't make it true or not. My faith in something has zero bearing on its truthfulness. To believe in Jesus isn't to believe that he exists. That's not what we mean. And we're not deciding if it's my truth or not. That's not what we mean either. To believe in Jesus is more than that. To believe is to have faith. To have faith is to trust. It's so much more to say, um, I believe in Jesus, but it's more to say, I trust in Jesus. I don't just believe that he exists, I trust in him. John 3.16 tells us that the love of God fuels the mission of the Son. But what's the call to action? Listen, the call to action is to believe, simply to believe. It's not to know facts. Many of you know the Bible really well. You might know it better than I do. You know the Bible really well. To believe includes knowledge, but it's more than that. It's more than that. 
The call to action of John 3.16 isn't even to agree. There are many who agree that Jesus is God's Son. There are many who agree that Jesus died to save sinners. Whoever agrees with Jesus will have eternal life. That's not what it says, is it? To believe includes assent, but it's more than that. What is the call to action of John 3.16? It is to believe. It is to trust. It is to give yourself over to. It is to make Jesus your only hope. To, I, I've got no other hope. I can't be good enough. I, I don't have any sort of, of magic trick or prayer to pray or take the Lord's Supper enough times or go to church enough. I've got nothing. My only hope is Jesus. You know, we can read books and do word studies and figure out the nuance of the different words, Greek words for love. We can do all of that and still completely miss it. God's love is not only something to be analyzed. God's love is to be received. That's what John tells us in, in chapter 1 of his gospel. In John 1.12, he writes, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's a sense in which we're all God's children, right? Like we're all made in God's image. But John emphasizes in his gospel that not everyone receives a special privilege of being God's child. Only those who believe in the name of Jesus, only those who receive Jesus, only those who take him at his word, who believe his promise of salvation, only those who give themselves over every square inch of their being, they give themselves over to Jesus as Lord. Those are the children of God. And my question for you this morning, whether you're sitting in here, in this room, whether you're watching on the screen, wherever you are, do you believe? Look, you, you've been in church, some of you have been in church since before you were born. Now, yeah, yeah, I believe all that. No. Do you believe, though? Like in the way that we're using the word believe, do you believe? The love of God fuels the mission of the Son to save the world, to save us from our biggest problem. We are in danger of perishing. We are in danger of condemnation, in danger of facing God's wrath, and we don't have any excuses. Not one. Our deeds are going to be laid bare before the judge, and we don't have an answer for any of them. We've got no plea but guilty. What are we going to do? The holy God loved the big bad world and this fueled action he gave his unique son to come and die in our place so if anyone believes in jesus if anyone receives jesus if anyone trusts in him they don't have to face god's wrath jesus faced god's wrath for them at the cross look god's love is unmerited and Look, I, I bet there's people in the room that you felt unloved. Maybe now or in the past, you felt unloved. Maybe you've experienced rejection from parents 
or friends or maybe a spouse. And maybe you're lonely. Maybe you feel like an outcast. John 3.16 tells me, though, you aren't alone. You aren't unnoticed. They may have rejected you. And that pain is real, but that pain isn't ultimate. The God of the universe knows your name. The God of the universe sees your hurt sees your loneliness, sees that rejection, and He cares for you. He wants to bring about good things in your life if you'll only trust Him. You are loved by God. And if that's the case, I'm not sure what else matters. God's love is unmerited. God's love is willing. Does anyone need to receive that this morning? That God's love is willing. God willfully loves you. He's not obligated to love you for any reason other than he has chosen to obligate himself to love you. God's love is not reluctant. You know, there are some that say the God of the Old Testament is angry and mean, but then he grows up by the New Testament. He's not so mean anymore. Or, or the father in the Old Testament is angry and mean, but then, then the son kind of brings him around and, and, and brings him to his side. There couldn't be anything further from the truth. In John's first letter, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. In John chapter 16, Jesus is explaining why as a Christian you don't have to pray through somebody, but you can pray directly to the Father. What's the reason? He says, because the Father himself loves you. God's love is willing. and God's love is to be received. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you trusted him? I want you to know that there's an opportunity for you to receive Jesus today. Not a, not a meeting later. Not a magic prayer to pray. Or a special card to fill out. Where you are seated. In the room. At your house. Wherever you are. There is an opportunity to receive Jesus now. Just simply pray and tell him. I'm leaning on you. Jesus, save me from my sin. You're my only hope. I'm entrusting myself to you. Whatever that means, I'm all in. You can do that where you are right now. No need to come forward. No need to do anything. You can do that in your space right now. God loves you. And I know this because he sent his son to die for you. Will you believe in Jesus? If that's you, if that's somebody who, you're somebody who wants to give your life to Jesus, you want to receive Jesus, you want to trust in Him. If that's you, I want to invite you to, to do something. Um, uh, real, real simple. Or, if you have questions about that, you're like, I really don't understand what you're saying. Or if you're just unsure and you want somebody to talk to, we just want to know. And we want to be able to reach out to you and talk to you. And so there's a couple of different ways. If you're in the room, um, there's a connection card in front of you. Um, and you, you can grab that and you can fill that out real quick. 
and you can drop it in the offering box on the way out. But also, no contact, and if you're, if you're um, at home, we've made a special part of our website, centralrr.com slash trust. Not real complicated. There's a couple of check boxes. We need your name and like a phone number or something. And all we want to do is we just want to follow up with you and we want to talk to you and we want to ask you questions and we want you to ask us questions and we want to pray for you. Sometimes it helps just to talk to somebody. But if you sense the Holy Spirit is impressing on your heart this morning, you need to act. You don't need to wait. You don't need to go home to eat lunch, fill out a card, go on the website. I don't know about protocol, but I'll stay here. We can talk after. I know other pastors would do as well. But do not delay any longer. It's time for some of you to turn to the Lord Jesus today. It's time to get back to the basics. God so loved the world, and I know that because he gave his son. So we don't have to perish. We can believe, and we can have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love, your good. We don't deserve it. Lord, I pray for the people who are hearing my voice in this moment. I pray that they would have a conversation with you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would call some to life. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take this opportunity. I I want you to respond. And One way to respond is to stand and sing. Another way to respond is to have a conversation with the Lord right now. Do you believe? Another way to respond is to spend some time praying for some others that you know need to believe. I'd invite you to do that as well. But let's respond now.